Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. The crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet. All hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Oh, hey, thank you so very, very much there, Kevra. Hey, welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. And wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem America. Today in the What's Hot Spotlight is Ralph McDaniels of Video Music Box fame. Ralph has more than 20,000 hours of footage on the early years of hip-hop and the stars of today. His hit documentary, You're Watching Video Music Box, is number one on Showtime. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say that the legendary Uncle Ralph McDaniels is what's hot. How you doing there, Ralph? Hey, G. Keith, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, that was you know, just listening to your voice, and you are such an inspiration to me. I'm, I'm so honored to be here today with you. Thank you, sir. Oh, man, that's, that's really nice of you to share that. Uh, you know, I've been a fan of yours and uh, Video Music Box ever since the beginning. And uh, and so I'm so glad that you've taken the time out to uh, to join us and to uh, be able to educate my audience and I all about things that we did not know or do not know about hip hop and the early, early, early beginnings of uh, when it got started. So, you know, speaking of when it got started, let's take the Wayback Machine. <laughs> and let's go and let's go way back to your early beginnings. What was life like for Ralph McDaniels? Well, I'm a um, a Brooklyn, Queens guy, born in Brooklyn, grew up in Queens. And uh, my parents are a product of the 60s of uh, Malcolm X and uh, Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. And so I remember my parents moving from Brooklyn to Queens and owning a home in Queens Village. Hollis area, um, which is like South Jamaica, Queens. And that became the, the middle class hub for black folks in the United States. So many middle class black folks moved to that area. But, you know, we were kind of like redlined into a certain area in that in that, in that movement. And um, and I remember I tell this in my doc. I tell the story in my documentary of how we moved to uh, to Queens Village and we were the third black family on the block. And that was the first time. I had ever been called the N word and I didn't even know what that meant when they said it, you know, and um, and I had to I remember going to my mom and I told her and she was like, oh, Lord, we came all the way from Brooklyn to Queens for a better life for our family. And this is what we're dealing with. But those were the um, the obstacles that were going on in um, in the community at that particular time. And, you know, that was part of the course for becoming great to me. You know, so many great people came, came coming from that, my neighborhood. Um, and we had a backyard, we had a, a basement. You know, I could I would play music for hours and hours and hours. I just loved playing music. And um, and that was how I started to develop my taste and my um, ability to program music. And that's when I went to college and, um, and then um, eventually got a job as an intern at this TV station called WNYC TV, Channel 31, a low power TV station. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, my foot was in the door. I was working. 
<laughs> well, well, how did the concept, how, how did you develop the concept for Video Music Box? Um, I was watching the programs that we had on this TV station, which was a public broadcasting station. And, um, and I said, this is PBS, public broadcasting, but I don't see any black folks on this, on this channel. And I was like, <laughs> if it's supposed to be the public, where's the black folks, you know? And, um, and they looked at me like, oh, he, we got a troublemaker. And so, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's what my parents taught me. You know, that's what, that's what the civil rights movement taught us, you know, equal rights. You know, we still fighting for stuff right now. Exactly. And, and so um, I got on the station and, you know, and I was a lover of music. And one day these tapes came in and it was, um, from Solar Records. And if you know Solar Records, those were the, st- the label where the Whispers were on. Yes. Um, Shalimar. Yes. Um, some of the other artists like that. And you know, a lot of those artists were showcased on Don Cornelius' Soul Train. And um, and their success came from that that TV show. And um, and I was like, who, you know, what are we doing with these, these tapes? You know, like they were just these artists performing in a soundstage. And I said, we should play this on the, sh- on the channel. And I went to the program director at the time um, and he said, uh, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. And one day he came back and we used to have these fundraisers. And he said, Ralph, we're going to play the tapes during the fundraiser. And we're going to play those. And we had a couple of Michael Jackson videos and the Pointer Sisters, who were very popular at the time, and probably mm-hmm. some Lionel Richie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we started playing them and the phones lit up. People started giving money. <laughs> <laughs> I was amazed. I was like, really? You know, and because I didn't understand, like, why would people start giving money when we played this music? Mm-hmm. But they enjoyed it so much that people felt like they were they were ready to give money. And so I contributed that day. You know, like I felt like I contributed something to the team. Uh-huh. My idea, my idea worked. And um, but that was the bug for me to say, OK, it's time to create something. And at that time, there were maybe like five hip hop videos. Mm-hmm. They weren't, mm-hmm. you know, hip hop was just starting. Right. They didn't really have performance videos. And um, so I had to take those five videos with the Whispers and Shalimar <laughs> and Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie and probably some Rick James. And we created Video Music Box. <laughs> so that, that's the early beginnings of Video Music Box. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. And, and And they weren't all rap artists you know i mean they, they weren't they were r&b you yeah know? yeah no it was it was r&b um and even some rock and roll you know we had um you know um bruce springsteen on there madonna mm-hmm. um you know bob marley whatever we could feel whatever felt like new york to me i put on that show incredible so now we're, we're talking about what year we're talking about this is 83 like 83 yeah, we started in 1983, and um, and I remember telling the program director that this is what the show was going to look like. It was going to be interviews, and we were going to have some performances of some of my friends who were hip-hop artists and R&B artists, and he looked at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, <laughs> and then um, um, the show called um, Hot Tracks came on. I remember Hot Tracks. very Right. Well. Hot Tracks with Carlos de Jesus, rest in peace. And Carlos yes. was at KTU, uh, 92 KTU, and um, in New York. And, um, and I respected Carlos. And I was like, this is it. This is what I've been talking about. This is my show right here I've been talking about. 
So two months later, they said, okay. So really, Hot Tracks really was like a proof of concept for us, you know, that this is how it'll work. And that helped us get on the air. Well, uh, you know, okay, that, that that's amazing. You, you, now, you mentioned Hot Tracks uh, and, and Carlos. Now, I worked with Carlos at Disco 92 WKTU. And I was doing uh, middays from 10 to 2 a, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And Carlos was doing 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. So, wow. so the people from Hot Tracks came to me and said, "Gee, Keith, we want you to host uh, this show, this uh, this show called Hot Hot uh, Hot Tracks." Wow. And so, because I worked at KTU, and at the time Carlos was the program director at KTU, Carlos told them, well, wait a minute, I can help program Hot Tracks because I'm a program director. So they nixed me and took Carlos instead to become become the uh, host of Hot Tracks. Wow. It's funny how things work, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. So, all right. Well, you know, your videos uh, took us into the clubs and, 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 and for those people who had never been in a club before those young folks who had never been in a club before got a chance to see all these people dancing and, and socializing and, and heard the music and, 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 and heard people talking to you. Uh, you exposed um, social. Uh, how can I say it? Uh, uh, you gave people a social experience. Right. As well, well, yeah, we were social media before social media existed, right. you know, because we were um, I mean, literally, like you just explained it so great. You know, we were a, a bird's eye view into these dark clubs. They weren't dark <laughs> then, but if you look at them now, you're like, where were we? And these dark clubs back then people smoked in clubs yes. um, and did whatever in clubs. And so, you know, we were we were all in these spaces and, you know, we didn't have like a, um, you know, really um, elaborate crew. So we were pretty raw with our equipment and, you know, and whatever we did. And so, you know, we didn't set it up. It wasn't produced like that. It was just the raw whatever was happening and (laughs) people saw it, you know. So if you were a 14 year old at home and you couldn't go to the club and you sitting at home at, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon watching Video Music Box, you got insight to something you would never, ever see in your life if it wasn't for Video Music Box. That's right. <laughs> and so that is what made it um, so iconic to this day, you know, is that that experience on TV at the time mm-hmm. was now, you know, we see it on the internet, we see it on Instagram, we see it on Facebook, all these different things. But that's what that impact gave us back in the early 80s. And I didn't know it. I was just doing the best I could. And so, you know, and we would get with the artists and then we would do this thing we called shout outs. And I started mm-hmm. talking about I started selling, telling people, OK, you, you can shout out your friend. And everybody just waited for that part, you know, just to do the shout out part. And it became iconic, you know, all the time. You know, that's people would just, I go to the club and the, on, and the kids would be like, when are we going to do the shout out part? And, I, <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, OK. And, you know, I'm standing there with LL Cool J and Run DMC and we got all these artists. They didn't care about the artists. They just wanted to get their part in. And so um, 
that's when shout out became this regular term that people said all the time. And it amazes me that, you know, when I watch TV and I'm listening to people talk and they're going, hey, I want to give a shout out to this. And I'm like, that's video music box. That's where it all came from. You coined the shout out and be, and we started using it on radio. You know, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. We started, hey, we're going to give a shout out to such and such in Queens. We're going to give a shout out to uh, Taylor Alexander over in, uh, you know, uh, Manhattan. You know, yeah. so um, I'm, I'm telling you, you were a pioneer. Which gives you, of course, you know, now you, you, you really have legendary status, okay? So uh, how, how, how do you feel about that, knowing that you created something that the world uh, took hold of and, and you helped spread this, this genre of music all over the world? Um, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I don't even realize it, and I, I, and I think that it's good that I don't think about it that too heavy. You know, I, I, I realized that we were doing something. I realized I was passionate about something and anybody that wants to do what we're doing right now or any job, be love, try to love what you're doing. You know, that's a great thing. I'm, I'm blessed. I came from college. I went to school for film and TV. I got a job working in film and TV and have done this for my whole career. Like who does that? You know, that's not even something that happens. And so, um, I'm still passionate about, you know, music. You know, I love the hip hop music. I love all types of music. It's, you know, my love for music is just, you know, just overall, you know, just I just love the vibe of people dancing and people enjoying a frequency of sound. Um, so when people say, yo, Ralph, you're the icon, you're this, you're a living legend, da, 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 da. I, you know, I go like, OK, that's cool. You know, <laughs> it's, it, you know, it is because. I, you know, I do realize I put my life into this, you know, mm -hmm. I did. I, I put my whole life into it, you know, and sometimes, you know, people probably like, why does he care so much? You know, um, because I care about what G. Keith thinks. <laughs> I care about what Frankie Crocker thinks. I care about what Von Harper would think. Wow. That, am I doing something that kept up the, the, the value of what you guys created, you know, and wow. you there was a certain level of professionalism and class that was created out of what came before me. And I, and even if we do it a little rougher and do it in a way, I still have to, you know, continue to keep that level of um, professionalism. Well, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm so happy that uh, you felt as though you had to bring uh, a level of professionalism to something that was, that started out to be so raw because here now you have, risen to where now you have brought this whole genre documentary style to showtime of all places. You know, it, it, that's a, a major media uh, concern. Now this documentary, tell us a little bit about the documentary. Yeah. Um, you're watching video music box is the title. Um, and that was interesting when, because we were trying to figure out what the, the title would be. And one of the producers said to me, um, you're watching Video Music Box because I said that in the show all the time. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you know, hey, you're watching Video Music Box. I'll be right back. You know, or, you're watching Video Music Box. Here's a new video from that. And um, and he picked up on that. And um, and so that's where we got the title from. And we wa I wanted to tell the story of a guy from Brooklyn and Queens. My story, most hip hop stories, I feel, were started in, in the Bronx, which is where hip hop started. Mm -hmm. And. I felt like 
No, I, I'm, I'm going to tell my story from where I'm from, you know, from Brooklyn, from Queens. You know, I was, you know, come, my family was from Trinidad. Jeffrey Holder was my mother's first cousin. This He's, is a cola nut. Yes, this is a cola nut. The seven <laughs> up commercial for those who don't remember. Right. And so that was a big experience that was happening in our home. That was the first. I mean, we didn't know he was a celebrity. He was our cousin, but we knew he was somebody, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so watching Jeffrey come from Trinidad and become this big uh, Broadway star, um, just other things that were happening around the house. My uncle would love love music. He bought vinyl and 45s every day and he bought them in the house. My uncle Mike and I'd be like, can I just, I, I was obsessed with reading the labels of the, of the vinyl, which you can't do now. <laughs> right, right. You can't do that with an MP3. <laughs> right. And I was obsessed with it. And I would know who, who was published by, who wrote the song, who, um, where it was recorded at, you know, and, and, and that would stick in my head. So I would go, well, if it was recorded here, it's probably going to sound pretty good. So, because <laughs> of other songs that were done in, that were recorded. So all of that, I was a sponge for just stuff. And, um, and, you know, and everybody wasn't like that. And then I started to DJ and I was one of those guys that was plugging into the light posts in the parks back in the days. And it was wow. illegal. You could go, you could go to jail, jail for, that. for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Ralph, hold that thought. Cause we have to take a break right now. And I just want to remind folks that uh, you can catch what's hot Harlem America on the Harlem America digital network at harlemamerica.com. And you can download, in fact, right now, why don't you just download the app and uh, you can get the app uh, wherever you get your podcast from. And you can also uh, download the app onto your phone and uh, check out our TV channel with all of our shows. We'll be right back with Mr. Ralph McDaniels. Harlem, America. It's about Harlem. Harlem is my town. Carver Bank, where 80% of every dollar is reinvested in the community. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. America, where Coca-Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. You're listening to Harlem America, talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Well, hey, Kevin, you forgot to tell them that uh, Harlem America is connecting Harlem 
with the Harlems of the world. So they can check all that out on our website where we've got some great articles about our culture. So don't forget to uh, check us out. We have Mr. Ralph McDaniels. In fact, he's affectionately called Uncle Ralph. <laughs> so Uncle Ralph, continue with the light pole, please. Oh, yeah. So, you know, back in the days in the early hip hop days, probably before even hip hop, you know, there was a, a way to get power from these light poles and it was illegal. And we would <laughs> plug into the light pole and then plug our equipment up, bring out some tables and some speakers and some turntables and a bunch of crates of records. And we would play music in the park for free, you know, and that was, you know, a Saturday afternoon, you know, across New York City, you know, it was happening. It was illegal in some areas they would come. They could actually take your equipment away the police department. But, you know, if you weren't bothering anybody, nobody was getting hurt. They would, you know, leave you alone and you could do whatever you wanted to do. So that's where I started out playing music, you know, from my house to that situation. And it was just great to see acknowledgement from people when you played certain records um, in the 70s. You know, and I'm saying I said records. It was, this is before there was just um, a file or Spotify or anything, any of that type of stuff. And um, and so that's where my background comes from. Mm -hmm. I used to love to play music. I tell this story of going to Reese Beach in New York City, where they used to have um, the DJs play and the basketball tournaments, kind of like Rucker um, tournaments would be happening. And I remember seeing um, guys like Earl Monroe and Walt Clyde Frazier. Yeah. And um, but more important to me was this DJ that was playing this music. And I remember the first time I heard Love is the Message by MFSB was at that park really? at, at the beach. And I was like, what is happening right now? Why is this record is amazing, right? <laughs> and to this day, you know, I, you know, I, I love MFSB, Love is the Message, you know. I used to love um, playing it. Yeah, great song, get everybody up and they start doing the hustle or whatever it was. And, um, and yeah, and you know, just that whole Philadelphia international sound was, was just, you know, very uplifting music, you know. So, yeah, so I started doing that. And those records, we would take just the break beats, mm -hmm. what we call the break beats. And they all came from songs like that, disco records or dance, danceable R&B records. And we started just grabbing the break beat part. And that's where hip hop came from. It just came from the, 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 the breakdown, you know, the drum break, you know, and we'd go back and forth, back and forth with the break. And then all of a sudden one day, you know, a guy got on the mic and he could rhyme a little bit, you know. <laughs> He could tell stories. And the first guy I ever heard tell a story was Eddie Chiba and uh, and DJ Hollywood. Oh, yeah. And, and and DJ Hollywood, I was like, this guy can rhyme. Like, he's a poet to me. You know, like, I mean, mm -hmm. he's, he's really good at poetry, but he was doing it in a party scene and people kept dancing and was chanting back and forth. And he would say, everybody say, ho, and everybody say, ho. This is before hip hop records exist. There is no Sugar Hill Gang. There's no Grandmaster Flash. There's no Curtis Blow yet. By 78, 79, um, you start to see the, the, the Curtis Blows and the Grandmaster Flash and the Sugar Hill Gang. And KTU is the first place that I heard the Sugar Hill Gang rappers delight. That's right. Uh, we played it, and I, and I used to love playing that. Uh, played Sugar Hill, played Grandmaster Flash. And at, before I got to, to Fox 5 TV, uh, there was a guy named Chuck Curry. He was one of the reporters on Black News. So mm -hmm. he came over to, to Disco 92 WKTU, where I was, and he interviewed me. And in the course of the interview, 
he says, he asked me, well, G Keith, what do you think about hip hop and rap music? Do you think it'll be around for a while? And of course, you know, I, I come from R and B radio and, and jazz radio and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty big deal there at, at KTU. And I say, nah, I, I, I think it's just a fad. It's not going to be around long cheese and crackers. Was I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there was a, you know, a, a, a generation before us that definitely felt like that. And I can understand why you felt like that because you'd seen, you know, the earth, wind and fires of the world and all of that kind of that, stuff. That's right. We just J- James with, Brown, you know, right. You know, we sitting with two turntables and a drum machine and a mic. <laughs> that's how we making music. That's all we got, you know? And so um, there's no, there's no melody. There's no none of that. We just like, just get that beat and we gonna rhyme. And the kids was sitting there going mesmerized. And so I can understand how, you know, the generation before me was, you know, feeling in that type of way when, cause I felt it, you know, I was like, man, we, you know, like BLS should play this and this station could play that. And like, nope, not going to happen. Not, it's not <laughs> happening, bro. Take that hip hop down the block. Take that hip hop down the block. Well, now, you know, I just mentioned James Brown, but I'm going to show you how hip hop canceled James Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on the air one day and James called me and he says, GK, Jiki, Frankie won't play my music. I said, what are you talking about? He, he, <laughs> he says, uh, you know, Frankie says that, that, that my music's not in the pocket. He, you know, th- that was Frankie's thing, not, not in the pocket. Because hip-hop, when Frankie finally got on and, found, and realized that, that hip-hop was, you know, the, the music that folks wanted to hear, and he started adding it to his, his playlist, uh, he, James had no place to go. And right. so, and J- and Frankie had told me uh, probably about two weeks prior to that, he says, you know, uh, James's record is not in the pocket. So mm-hmm. I knew when, when James called me, but I didn't know what to tell. I felt so bad. You know, you're going to tell the Godfather of soul that you're not going to play his record. Right. I, I, I felt so bad that, 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 you know, it just wasn't happening at that time. It's funny because James Brown is a big part of hip hop because so many records that James did were sampled in hip hop and early hip hop records. Mm-hmm. You know, all that Eric B and Rakim, that's James Brown, you know, mm-hmm. all those drum breaks, are, you know, to this day are James Brown, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> so, you know, like I hear those drum breaks playing now on ESPN in the background at the basketball arena, you know, I still hit that's still James Brown's drum drum break, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's interesting that how that could happen. But I mean, I mean, hip hop changed it. You know, I saw it. I watched the clubs changed. I watched what the clubs look like change. Um, the the clothing, everything, the culture that went along with it. You know, now we were getting clubs. We could we could we could do events. We could I re- the, the first in my documentary, I, I talk about the first hip hop concert or big hip hop concert at the, at the Nassau Coliseum, which was called mm-hmm. the Fresh Fest. And the Fresh Fest was um, 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 Run DMC, um, Houdini, the uh, Fat Boys, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, and um, LL Cool J was on it, and a couple other artists. And so we were in an arena of 15,000 people, you know, that like was huge. That was a huge deal, you know. And I remember looking around 
And it was so diverse. It was white folks, it was black folk, Latino, Asian. It was a little bit of everybody. And I realized that hip hop had crossed over at that point. And that was in 1985. And, and I ran up to MTV because a friend of mine worked at MTV. And I said, you guys got to do a hip hop show. And the guy at MTV said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> You're absolutely not doing a hip hop show here. Our audience is not ready for that. And I was like, nah, let me show you the footage I have. And he said, we're not interested in looking at the footage. We don't care. We are a rock and roll station. And we play a little bit of hip hop with Run DMC because they have some rock guitars in their sound. And other than that, that's where it was. That was it. And um, and I was disappointed at that point because I thought that, you know, I've always been kind of ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. And um, and I knew it was something that was going to happen. And then two years later, they started uh, their show called Yo MTV Raps, which went on to be a major success. Major success. But yeah. you see, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, in our conversation now, you're mentioning things that uh, that evoke memories that uh, if we don't tell our own stories, uh, no one else will. So I, I must tell you this. <clears throat> MTV, before they started playing black music, before they even became MTV, or they called me and they said, Gee, Keith, um, we're putting together a music channel and we need a VJ. And I said, VJ, what, what's a VJ? And he said, a video jock. We'd like for you to come down and audition. Hmm. So I go down, I went down dressed sort of like uh, Venus Flytrap. From, uh, from, 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 what was it, Cincinnati? What was that? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. WKRP. WKRP. Yeah. I, I went down. I had a, um, a lime green, real soft butter leather outfit. It was a Claude Montana outfit, jacket right. and, and pants. I had a black mink coat, and I had a baseball cap with the, scrambled eggs on the front of black baseball cap with the scrambled wow. eggs on the front, like a, a, a ship commander, like a commander. And so yeah. I go down and I had two young ladies with me, you know, and I, I go down. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a DJ, you know, I'm New York full fledged cart carrying DJ. So I go yeah. down and uh, they put me in front of the, um, the uh, teleprompter and they had all these artists that I had never heard before, like Ted Lundgren and, and all these rock <laughs> artists. I, I, I'd never heard these guys before. I'm, I'm rock. I mean, I'm R&B and jazz. And so when, when I finished, the guy says, okay, G. Keith, you've got exactly what we, what we need, what we want. So he says, I'll be in touch with you in two weeks. Two weeks, they call me and said, G. Keith, we decided to go in another direction. <laughs> 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 they they hired uh jj uh, right. jj johnson who was a right. rock guy he, he was a black guy who had earrings in his ear and yes. he came from a rock station they hired him instead right right I, I was getting ready to say I, I forgot about him until you just started telling this story and i was like wait a minute there was a brother there chubby brother right i remember yes yes <laughs> yeah so i i missed out twice on uh, hot tracks and uh, MTV, but con- continue your, your story. It was, it, th- there was a time that they wouldn't even play Michael Jackson either. Yeah. Uh, they they wouldn't play Michael Jackson. And finally, I think Columbia records or Sony said, Hey, it, we're not going to give you the rest of our artists. If you don't play Michael Jackson. Yeah. So yeah, they used, um, they used, um, the other artists as leverage and then they used Michael as leverage to play other artists, you know, and, you know, by the, by that time it was, 
you know, it was it, it kind of didn't make sense. You know, like it was like, come on, this, this is what the kids are into. I don't care what you guys are promoting, but this is what the kids are into. This is Michael Jackson this is, you know, like, don't get too no bigger than Michael Jackson <laughs> right. at that point. And, you know, and, you know, I've seen I've seen articles where Rick James and others, you know, these are Rick James, Lionel Richie. All these guys were selling a lot of records. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're staples on on um, black radio mm-hmm. and they're not getting any play at all. You know, and it's like, wait a minute, what's going on? Is they, they, they started to look bad. So they had to change their ways. And um, and so, yeah, they started Yo! MTV Raps. And um, and and it was great. Because you, you it, it, lasted, it lasted for how long? How many years? Um, I think like seven or six or seven years. Yeah. I want to say from 80, 88 to like maybe five years, 88 to like 93. And maybe a little bit like maybe a little earlier, later than that. But whatever the case was, it was a great moment for the culture and respect now that the culture was getting, that hip hop was getting, because this is a national outlet. You got national ads running in this show next to these kids like, you know, um, Eric B and Rakim and, you know, Slick Rick and mm-hmm. um, Chuck D, you know, all of this is happening all at the same time with major advertisers and, and sponsors. And um, you start to see the Sprite commercials with these with hip hop artists. And, you know, that, you know, once that starts to happen, they start including the artists into the commercials. And so, you know, everybody had to perform at a certain level, once you start getting those advertisers, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different look. That's <laughs> right. It's a whole different look. Yeah. Well, see, now you mentioned something else. Okay. You know, I, I, I've done voiceovers for years. So the mm-hmm. advertisement, when, when hip hop first started, they didn't know any hip hoppers. So they would call me in to kind of, you know, give sort of a, a, a rhythm mm-hmm. uh, to it that, that made it sound kind of hip hopish. So, yeah. uh, I, I did a couple of those commercials and then after a while I stopped doing them because they started bringing in the real deal. They started bringing in the hip hoppers oh. to do the commercials. And that's when I knew that, that hip hop was getting ready to go mainstream. Yeah. And when, when they started putting the, the hit, the real deal, the hip hoppers with the ad campaigns, yeah. that means it was, you know, yeah, no, nah, I mean, I, I I started, you know, at that time, my partner and I, Lionel Martin, we were also directing videos. So we were making the music videos that you saw on our show. Mm-hmm. So we did um, Self-Destruction, which was a great music video, you know, about, you know, just, you know, positivity in the community um, with, a, with a bunch of uh, artists, kind of like a We Are The World kind of vibe. Mm. And... Um, and then we did a bunch of public enemy videos. Um, we did um, Belle Biv DeVoe, all, all of these different artists, New Edition, um, Boys to Men. You know, we were just on a roll. We were doing all of these, <laughs> these videos and we were doing the commercials, too. We started to shoot the commercials as well, because once you start doing music videos, the commercial world looks at, hey, I, I like that look. Right. Can you bring that look to my ad, my commercial that I'm, I'm running uh, this 30 second ad or minute ad? And so we started doing the, the commercials as well. And um, and that was the beginning of us, you know, on the commercial side. But I stuck to the videos, you know, every day. And I was still in the clubs and in the early 90s, the music, you know, every five, every five years with hip hop, the music would change. And so the early 90s, it gets a little bit more hardcore. You know, um, the, the West Coast has a group called N.W.A., and they're shoot number one to the charts. And mm-hmm. so the record companies, 
follow suit. Like, okay, we need our own NWA on the East Coast. Who, who's it going to be? And they picked the Wu-Tang Clan. And the Wu-Tang Clan comes out, and I produced all of those videos. For wow, the really? Yeah. And, um, and I started working with those guys. And then there's a guy named Nas. And mm -hmm. Nas comes out. And they, Ralph, can you do his first video? And Columbia Records called me, and I said yes. And so we, Nas had this song called "It Ain't um, It Ain't Hard to Tell," and I directed his first video. And here we are, thirty years later, and Nas is the executive producer of <laughs> "You're Watching Video Music Box." So it's wow. three sixty. Yeah, it's three sixty. Nas is um, part owner of the production company. Mm -hmm. Nas is mm -hmm. uh, came on and said he 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 wanted to do he wanted to direct. I mean, he wanted to uh, direct my video, my uh, my documentary. And I said, when do you have time to do that? Like, you know, that seems like a lot. Like, you know, when can you do that? And he says, no, it's important. He's a historian. You know, he's nostalgic. Um, he says it's super important that we get this this narrative right. Like you mentioned earlier, the, the narrative, because the narrative, I'm pretty sure, like myself, you've heard stories, people talking, and that was not the narrative at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and you're sitting there and you're the only one in the room that knows that and <laughs> probably the only person that, no, well, I shouldn't say the only person that cares because actually people want to know the truth. And that's what I learned from this documentary coming out is that people were like, I didn't know that Biggie and Nas actually even knew each other. Mm. And I was like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, they did. And you know, <laughs> all of these little details of things, you know, how the dots connect. I think young people, my concern when I first started doing this, I didn't want it to be just an old school, you know, old heads talking, you know, the old heads are talking, you know, I said, we have to figure out a way to get to the young people. And they got it because they want to know, they just want to understand how it got to whatever it is today, 2021. And so when they were watching it, they were like, oh, okay. So this guy is connected to that guy, that guy connects to this guy. And that's how we are in 2022 right now. I said, okay. So that was what was awesome about, you know, connecting the dots for folks. Well, Ralph, we're going to have to connect the break right, right now. And we'll be right <laughs> back with uncle Ralph McDaniels talking about the early days of hip hop, but also giving us an insight as to, uh, uh, uh some of these artists that uh, we're mm -hmm. very curious about so we'll be right back and if you happen to be a, a business owner a black business owner and and you want to have fame fortune and followers for your brand uh or your business why don't you let harlem america digital network produce your podcast okay we'll be right back i'm g keith alexander the home of glasso smart water is harlem america Harlem America, the home of Coca-Cola Zero. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480 553 5741 today. 
You're listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out. Check it out. Empowerment. And health and wellness. Harlem America. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. All right, uh, we're, we're back with uh, Mr. Ralph McDaniels of Video Music Box fame. But I want to remind you, though, that we have a new show on Harlem America Digital Network called full-time CEO, the S-H-I-T, they won't tell you. And it's hosted by Mr. Will Roundtree. And it's a financial show with, it will tell you all about your finances and give you insight in, uh, into other people's journey as they created their empire. So uh, Ralph, now talking about your empire, uh, 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 you're watching uh, Video Music Box. You were, you were telling us how, Folks are discovering that this artist was connected to that artist, and, and you, you, you were putting the dots together for us. So continue, please. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, I when going through my content and my footage from over 30 years, and you talked about it's 20,000 hours, you know, we would go through content that I hadn't looked at in years. And I was looking at some tapes one day, and it was Big Daddy Kane from the 80s performing in Brooklyn. And then the camera pans and it goes to right in front of the stage and this notorious B.I.G. is right there in front of the stage. <laughs> and he's just like a kid, like like a little chubby kid sitting there. I don't even know, like he doesn't even look like he's old enough to be in the club. And so, <laughs> but he figured out a way to get in and you could tell like he was just studying what was happening on stage. And to see that was amazing. And I had never saw it before. I had to slow the camera down the the, to, the the tape down to really see it because it happened really fast. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was clear that that was him. And um, so it just showed me that most of these hip hop artists have roots. You know, I mean, I know that. Um, from from uh, Big Daddy Kane comes, you know, uh, Biggie um, comes Jay-Z. We had no idea that Jay-Z would be one of the most successful people ever in the music business like he is today. You know, married to one of the most successful women in the music business, <laughs> Beyonce. You know, this skinny kid from Marcy Project, we knew could rap. You know, he had a, some a swag to him. And um, and we had no idea that he would be as successful as he is today. He's in the documentary as well. And my friend Bev Smith, who's from Harlem, Bev said, mm-hmm. Ralph, you got Jay-Z in your documentary. He only did Letterman. That's the only time I've ever seen him do somebody else's show. So you big time, Ralph. (laughs) 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 And I said, wow, you're right, Bev. And so Jay-Z was absolutely, Ralph, I have to be part of this. Um, You know, um, just watching, you know, watching some of these artists come up, um, you know, and you you mentioned, um, you know, Grandmaster Flash. 
And those are my friends from the early days. And still to this day, we still are friends. And Grandmaster Flash still continues to tour around the world. You know, Japanese love Flash. The Brazilians love Flash. And the Germans. And, you know, wherever he goes around the world and does his DJ sets, they love Flash. And very often, we'll talk. And we'll, you know, just touch base just to say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and I think Flash is even amazed that it's gone and it still continues to go as far as it has. And so um, it's an honor to be part of something so big, you know, just, just amazing. You know, I went to the New York Knicks game the other night and it was, you know, just hip hop music playing in the background. That's all you hear. You know? I, I, I saw you on the floor center. You were on the center court. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I said, well, how did Ralph get out there on the center court? They, I, you know, look, a Showtime being associated with Showtime has its uh, its its props and it's and it's <laughs> and so they invited me and I, you know, I think I was the only one that well, I shouldn't say the only one, but I was more excited than anybody in my section to actually meet Walt Clyde Frazier because I'd never really met him. I mean, I've seen really? him in person, and I went up to him. I said, Walt, I just want to say, you know, it's a pleasure. Can I take a picture of you? And he was like, absolutely, brother. And so he was very nice. <laughs> Back in the early days when uh, he was Clyde, known as Clyde then, with his with his uh, Rolls Royce and all his fly clothes and fur coats, uh, he used to come to our parties. Uh, wow. He used to come to my party, and uh, he, he's always been a very, very nice guy. Yeah. Very nice guy. Now, uh, give me a Diddy story. You got a Diddy story? Oh, wow. Diddy started... Um, First time I worked with Diddy, they they used to have, well, they still do have um, Harlem Week in mm-hmm. front of the state office building on 120th. Yeah. Yep. And um, so this is the beginning. This is like the late 80s. They're starting to allow hip hop artists to come on stage at Harlem Week because in the beginning, Harlem Week organizers, Lloyd and those guys were like, nope, not going to happen. No hip hop no on this stage. And thank Thank goodness for people like Dougie Fresh, who was from Harlem mm-hmm. and, you know, talked to Lloyd and said, look, it's going to be fine. I'll take care of it. I'll be responsible <laughs> for it. And and they allowed us to start doing hip hop at Harlem Week. And and I remember the first time we did it and we had some great artists up on stage and the stage manager was Sean Diddy Combs. Oh, really? He was the stage manager. And wow. I knew him because I knew him. I see him dancing in the clubs. And um, and he, you know, he he had his uh his 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 list of the artists that was supposed to go next. And I would go over to him. I'm like, who we got next? And he was like, okay, coming up next is a tribe called Quest. And I said, all right, they here. And he's like, yeah, I'll make sure they here. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. And you know, and I tell people, whatever Diddy did, he made it look great and fabulous. And so he was the stage manager. He made fat. He made the stage manager look like he was doing a fabulous and awesome <laughs> job. You know? And to everybody that was coming up at that particular time, or even before that, Diddy wanted it more than anybody else. You know, he wanted it, you know, he wanted to be successful. He had a vision. He knew that um, there was a certain type of music that had to be done. He knew that you had to look a certain way. You know, you had to talk a certain way. You had to have some type of image. He got that whole idea from day one, and he understood that more than people, you know, sometimes think because they have skills and they're great performers that it's just about that. And it's not. When you get into this music business, 
and you get into it from a competitive way in a big way, it's as it's it's a, everything counts. And you know, and 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 he understood that, and he pressed that, and a lot of people didn't you know why are we worried about the boots that we're wearing or why are we worrying about the sunglasses that we're wearing he, he's like that's important all of that is <laughs> <laughs> and look what and look what he's become you know yeah. yeah incredible yeah he's in the documentary and you know it's funny because the folks at showtime were like well you know he doesn't really do documentaries unless it's something to do with him and you know his channel or something that he owns and i said i think he'll do it and I um I got a number for him and I texted him and he said, absolutely, it would be an honor, sir. And he oh, said, great. when I started my channel, he started his channel Revolt. He said, Ralph, it was all based upon what you did, you know, with Video Music Box, that your Video Music Box was unapologetically black. And I wanted to be unapologetically black when I started my own channel. And so you are the one that took me to that place. So thank you. Get down, get down. Wow, that is that that is great. Uh, so you you have to have some favorite hip hop music. Your top five. Oh, G Keith, you trying to get me in trouble, man. You know, I do a top anything, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Like, I didn't hear you mention my name, Ralph. I thought we was cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to put you on that spot, Ralph. I'm going to put you on that spot. Give me your top five. Well, I always say Rakim. Mm -hmm. That's my, my one of my top artists. You know, And, and he only they didn't have a, 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 a large amount of albums out. But I felt like the first time I heard Eric B and Rakim, it stopped me in my tracks. You know, like I can remember clearly I was in Queens, I was in Baisley projects. And back then people would have their radio outside the window. And I think <laughs> Mr. Magic was playing. Mr. Magic was the first guy who came to BLS and, and Frankie allowed him to play some hip hop music. Right. And Mr. Magic was on and probably was like two in the morning or something. And, and I heard, you know, this record, My Melody by Eric B and Rakim. And, and it felt like he was talking to me. You know, and I was like, what is what is this? Who is who? What, what's the name of this group? And um, so ever since then, I've been an advocate for Eric B and Rakim, a fan, friends with Eric B and Rakim um, and always put them out there and say, if you never for if you're, if you're, you know, 16 years old, 17 years old, whatever it is, just Google Eric B and Rakim and listen to their presentation back then when they were 16 and 17. And um, and just understand that they their sound was completely different than what was happening at that particular time. Um, Nas, um, I love poets. I think Nas is a poet more than just a, an, a hip hop artist. Um, social consciousness is very important to him. Entertaining street talk. He talked that street talk. You know, he's good at that. And um, and he's a cool dude. You know, he's 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 super cool. Um, so I'm a, a, definitely a fan of Nas, besides him being the executive producer on my project. <laughs> <laughs> but I really am. Um, Jay-Z, um, probably one of the best of all time. Um, just amazing lyricist on the spot, can just jump in and just do whatever it is you ask him to do, pretty much at will, at, at ease. Um, done different projects with different um, um, 
uh, artists from over different periods of time and still being able to be conscious and relevant. Um, Notorious B.I.G., great storyteller like Slick Rick, um, just so vivid in the stories. And it just amazes me that he made these songs when he was so young, but it's just, he paints a picture of Brooklyn that I was like, how, what was making him see these things? I was on those same blocks and he saw other things that I didn't see and was able to put them into song. And, um, and that's what, you know, is, you know, the, the magic of words and, and the, uh, and, and putting them on, in, on a recording, you know, it's, it's, it's magical, you know, that theater of the mind, as we right. talk about it in radio. Right. And, um, and, um, Ice Cube, I love Ice Cube. You know, I love Ice Cube, very consistent, taking it to a whole nother level over the years, like LL. And, um, but just been able to tell our story, you know, in, in music and in picture um, and continue to be a role model. His son is an actor now, you know, it's just pretty amazing that, you know, it's not easy, you know, you know, you know, and Hollywood will turn you out. You know, if you're not ready for that, you know, literally. And um, and so to see those guys still continue to do it um, at the level that they're doing it and still hold on to their sanity um, is pretty amazing. Um, and we need one. We need one more. We got two minutes left. We need one. Oh, more. I'm going to go today because I can switch up on days. You know, mm-hmm. it could be different. I'm going to go today with Heavy D and people don't mention Heavy. I D. love Heavy D. Oh, good. <laughs> Man, I, in fact, I was the first one to put him on TV. I interviewed him on, uh, on the McCrary Report on Fox 5 when I was there. Yes, Heavy D, amazing artist. You know, just love what he did. Once again, another guy that was very vivid in his lyrics, um, positive, uplifting. The overweight uh, lover. The overweight lover. The first, well, one of the first big guys, you know, in hip hop that could dance. And you were like, man, that big dude could dance, you know, <laughs> and from Mount Vernon, New York. And um, um, and I remember I did his one of his first videos, me and my partner, Lionel. And um, but, he, you know, he just understood. And the women loved Heavy D. They loved oh, yes. him. But oh, yes. he, he, was he cool. could dress. He could cool. His lyrics were hot. You know, he had a hot song. And um, so, yeah. So Heavy D. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, you know, Ralph, this has been a real pleasure having you on today on Harlem America Digital Network. And, uh, and of course, we want to tell everyone, go check out your watching Video Music Box on Showtime. You got to check it out. I mean, if you're, a, you know, you want to learn about hip hop or if you're a hip hop fan, uh, this is where you go. So, Ralph, thank you so very, very much. I want you to have a great day and a better one tomorrow. And I want you, uh, all, all the fans who are listening and, 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 uh, and going to be watching, I want you to know that you can find us on Amazon Fire, Android TV, iPhone App Store, your Google Play Store, and we We're on Roku and Apple TV, and you can get us live and on demand and download us now, please. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great day and a better one tomorrow. We'll see you next week at 1 p.m. Eastern on Harlem America Digital Network. And once again, thank you, Uncle Ralph McDaniels. Thank you, sir. Take that, take that, take that. Oh, hold on.
Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening.